Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name is Christian Allen, here with my co-host, Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. Rob, what is up, man? Hey, I'm doing great. It is hard to believe that summer is halfway over, though. I was just thinking about that. Summer's halfway over. And can I just tell you, I have had a crazy busy summer. I've traveled more this summer than I probably have, like in my life yeah it's just been chaos all over we went to san francisco and then to hawaii and then to california and then to dc yeah like just been all over the place so i'm i'm excited to be back home um can i just tell you something funny rod that i did i'm i'm excited about this and i don't know if anybody else will be excited about this but i'm going to give a quick look into the my family life okay excited so my daughter just turned 16. I'm starting to feel yeah. like you, Rod. Yeah. I remember old. when I was making fun of you for having a 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And here I am. Uh, anyway, my my oldest daughter, she turned 16. And um, I was so excited. We were going to have this uh, this birthday shindig for her at the house. And she's really into Muppets. Okay. Muppets. Yeah. She's kind of funny, quirky. She's I love she's, the Muppets. She's all into like, she's a thespian. She's very good at acting. And she just loves the Muppets. Okay. Yeah. So... Right, I was putting together this party for the Muppets, right? And um, sadly, we ended up having to like, we're probably going to have to end up pushing it. But when I was actually like doing some of the planning, this idea came to my mind Mm -hmm. and I was so excited about it. So I did it. I found someone who did it, went to Etsy and I found someone who made a Muppet of Kate, my daughter. Oh, wow. And can I just tell you, she was thrilled i was so happy That's it like awesome. warmed my heart so that was kind of my like fun thing for the weekend I, oh yeah i got i got a cape muppet made um and a kermit the frog back backpack and she was like right on that is awesome. <laughs> you so would think what? you know 16 she'd want a new car or something uh-huh. <laughs> and and like i've been trying to say like hey get get license stuff done we'll get you the car yeah but uh, we're still working on getting the motivation to like, yeah, that's a not a thing anymore. Driver. It used to be what is that? a big deal. It's, it's consistent. My, okay. It was on my birthday. We, yeah. my dad took me to the DMV and I drove home. Yep. Like that's yep. just how we, we did. did it. Yep. Okay. Well, yep. they Us do a much people. better job of preparing kids now though. Right. <laughs> it's definitely more involved. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Which is terrifying. <laughs> You're like, I'm parent. not sure if it's better, but it's yeah, more for involved. the parent. It's rough. It's rough. They're like, hey, well, take the yeah. kids out on the road before we even teach them anything about driving. Yeah. And for like a year, you're going to drive only with your anyway. I, yeah. There's all sorts of. Yeah. OK, so I'm getting off on tangents, Rod. But um, why don't I introduce us, introduce the topic for today? Sweet. Actually, before I do that, quick announcements. Two things. One, I want to remind everybody that we have the Facebook group investment op- investment strategies for high income earners. Again, it's the Facebook group investment strategies for high income earners. We're getting a lot of traction. I think yeah. we have like, you know, 400 people or something like that. And so we're starting to get some good traction. We have really great people. And the thing that we're really excited about is we're changing up the format on something that we've been doing in the Facebook group. So if you've been following along, you know that we've just been doing our weekly like 15, 20 minute Facebook lives. Yep. 
Well, we decided that it made a little sense to, to mix this up. And instead of doing the weekly Facebook lives, we're going to make it more like a, like a live webinar that's on uh, whatever topic we choose, right? It'll mm -hmm. be basically a topic chosen based on the feedback that we get from our clients and from listeners. Um, and we'll promote it. We'll kind of really put a lot of time and effort into it to make sure that it's good. And so that our hope is that we can deliver some really like powerful um, action oriented content. Yeah. Make it more now, of an event. Yeah. Make it more of an event. With that said, Rod, our next one is on July. Or our first one is going to be on July 20th. And the focus is, well, I'm called, we're calling it investment optimization 201. Yeah. Okay. I want to, I want to really quickly clarify because we are not going to talk only about the investment optimizer, right? That is a component of investment optimization, but our focus here is going to be to get in what we're going to call the four areas of investment optimization. Yep. So are you excited about that? I one? am. Yeah. That's a great teaser. I'm excited I about it. Wait. Okay. Okay. So for today though, we're going a totally different direction, Rod. Today, we're going to talk about the seven deadly sins, wait for it, of retirement planning. Yes. Okay. Um, I I don't know if there's anything else we have to say before we jump right into it. Anything yeah. on your so, mind? I mean, seven deadly sins. This is just, don't do it. Don't well, do it. okay. So I, I was like, how many deadly sins are we going to make? And Rod's like, well, you've got to do seven, right? <laughs> it just so, seems obvious. A little bit of a teaser here. We have seven deadly sins, and I may or may not have a bonus sin or two. <laughs> may or may not. We'll see. Okay, Rod, with that said, let's get into it. Okay, again, these are the seven deadly sins specifically related to high-income earners in retirement planning. Yep. I want to I emphasize that because that's those are the people that listen to us. Those are our clientele. We want to make sure that it's focus specifically on those people. Okay. Number one, Rod, I'm calling buying into the 401k myth. So the question is, what is the 401k myth? Well, the 401k myth is the idea that you'll be in a lower tax bracket when you get older. Yeah. And here's the question, Rod. So I would ask you, is that true? Why or why not? And why in the world would we call that one of the seven deadly sins? Well, first of all, I would hope for everyone who's listening that you're not in a lower tax bracket when you're in retirement than you are now. Okay. Now, having said so that, what is it? Yeah, that just means you're a bad reason, saver. Well, the reason that they say that and is that. because, well, I guess that like if if you're only saving five percent of your income, and that's going to be your retirement, then yes, you are going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire. Okay. Okay. Most likely, most likely. Sure. But can I just tell you, if you saved 5% of your income and you're making 2 million bucks a year, guess what? You're still going to be in that same higher tax bracket. That's fair. But but you're right. You're right. Okay. Sorry. I don't, I don't want to take it to extremes. Yeah. Well, and so, okay, but let's break it down. Okay. Okay. Why is it a myth? Why do we not feel like it's just obvious that everybody is going to be in lower tax bracket when they hit retirement? Okay. This is perfect. We've got four kind of critical reasons. You start. Okay. Well, the first one is that anyone who is who's a reasonably good uh, saver won't be in a lower tax bracket because they will have built up, and and we'll, we'll get into more in here. But just the whole idea of this, you know, investing in alternative assets, creating, you know, streams of income, other things like that. 
make the most of what you're doing and be a reasonably good saver, right? And and you won't have to worry about that. You're you're going to be creating enough income that you're gonna you're still gonna be in a high tax bracket when you retire. Well, and the challenge is, Rod, twofold as we get into tax brackets. Number one is we're in a historically low tax bracket. Yes. Number two, it doesn't take very long. So I, I should say we're in we're in a period of historically low tax rates. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the income levels, it doesn't take all that long to get into the highest tax bracket. Right. Right. So between those two things kind of converging, it becomes really easy to uh, to bump over that if you're even a reasonably good saver. Yep. Absolutely. So then the next one is, are taxes likely to go up or down? We get to ask this question to a lot of people for the last and they whatever, ask us the same years. question yeah and christian what is normally the answer you get okay so can i can we <laughs> can we talk about this for a second i want to riff on this for just a second right yeah, so yeah. you made a really good point we have been talking about this well my entire career and and obviously that's always going to be the way it is but can i just say they haven't changed all that much since i've been around at least i've been doing this for 20 years and there's been there's been a few big ones, right? Like we had we had a major tax shift in the estate planning or the mm -hmm. uh, the estate tax number ended up going from like 1.5 million per person up to 10. But in terms of like income tax rates, it actually hasn't changed that dramatically over that period of time. So then, but but to your point, okay, kind of to your question, there's no question that because we're in lower, we have this low tax rate environment historically, and because we have all sorts of issues, right? Um, we have massive national debt, uh, all of these things that are kind of problems yeah. from a from an economic standpoint. So it's really hard to look at the situation and say, you know what? I think the government really is going to try to put more money back into our pocket when they have such a big nut to crack. Yeah, it reminds me of when uh, when Obamacare came out and the way that they paid for that, or at least the way that they said they were going to pay for it, is they said, man, there are so many inefficiencies inside of Medicare. We're going to go in and clean that up, clean up all those inefficiencies so that we don't have as much waste. And with all of that savings that we created in, in, in off of Medicare, <laughs> that's what we're going to use to go and pay for this new program, Obamacare, right? And it so, worked brilliantly, right? <laughs> just like they planned. Yeah, just, just like, like they planned. Yeah, no one, oh, no, no one has to pay extra tax to to pay for Obamacare, right? Okay, Rod. There's one more important point that we got to hit on in this first sin, and that is simply that as we get older, as we pay off those things that were previously tax deductions, mm -hmm. like our house, right? Hopefully we have other things going on, like, you know, active investing business. Sure. But even this, like, even if you slow down from an investment perspective, let's say I'm acquiring less. Well, if I acquire less, I'm getting less of those tax benefits. So like the tax benefits become more difficult to um, take advantage of at the highest level as yeah. we get into that later stage. So the point here is just that there's a there's a real potential for fewer tax deductions. Think about qualified plans, another example. Yeah, and and as someone who is slightly older than you, 
the kids end up leaving Slightly. the house. They're no, they're not oh, going to be dependents oh, forever. Too. Right. Yeah, so that too changes it. So what you're saying, Rod, is that you've got all sorts of disposable income these days. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> no more true. kids in the house. And you're well, just like, have, what do I do with all oh, this? Oh yeah. Cash? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We still have three kids in, in, at home, oh, okay. but okay. with four, four having moved on three, two of them are married. One's engaged. They're, they're becoming uh, their own dependence, right? Yeah, they're not yeah, online they're anymore. becoming independent. So that's nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Rod. So let's jump into <clears throat> sin number two. Sin number two is either overspending and not saving enough money or oversaving and not spending enough money. You see what I did there? This is a two for one. Yeah. Two for one. Wow. Again, uh, both so ways. we're going to hit on part A, which is overspending. Obviously, that's like where the, the yeah. biggest danger is right from a from a ending up in a really dire situation so maybe you can hit on the reasons for that and then i'll kind of focus on that second part which is not or which is over saving and not spending enough money yeah so so the first half of it is is dangerous for anyone of any income level right yeah it doesn't matter but maybe even more so if, in, from the standpoint of for a high income earner who is spending up to that level and that lifestyle, but they're not saving. They're not, they're not preparing so that they can continue to do that for the rest of their lives. At some point they can't work anymore. And all of a sudden what happens to the lifestyle, what happens to their ability to, they're, they're living off social security alone or something. Uh, right. Okay. Rod. So we have seen this. Sadly, I can think of people that we have worked with that we've helped who, when we initially saw them, they were, 55 years old and had close to nothing saved, yeah. but had a $700,000 income. Yeah. And it's like, holy smokes, we've got some work to do. Right. Yep. So sadly that happens. But I remember thinking in those, you know, I'm really thinking of just a couple situations, but I remember thinking in those couple situations, like, okay, we have a lot of work to do and I don't even know if it's possible. Mm -hmm. So to mm -hmm. your point, really critical and if you're someone that's used to spending that kind of money like suddenly going to having a tenth of it you're gonna be pretty brutal yeah yeah so a few things that we need to focus on this one is uh first people are living longer so again yep. we'll get into some of the the ways that we can address that later but but if you're not doing anything at all or if you're under under saving then and overspending then then it's really going to hit you hard. Medical costs are rising. And and again, especially in those older years, you get into a long-term care situation and nobody wants to be pushed to a place where they're on Medicare trying to pay for long-term care. No, right? no, no one does. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. So kind of the, the combination of those things, it, it makes it pretty yeah, obvious, right? Pretty Don't dangerous. overspend. You have to save. And yep. we've talked about this, right? In the baseline of creating wealth, the first part of it is, You've got to save. Yep. Same thing applies in retirement. You have to save in some way, shape, or form. Um, sadly, too often people aren't doing enough of that. Okay. Yeah. But there is another concern that I have, Rod. Part B of our sin here is that some people have the opposite problem, where they won't spend their own money. Now, yeah. let me just be honest. Where I normally see this isn't as much in like people in their working years who are just saving tons of like, I see it most often when people with people who are older, mm -hmm. who just like refuse to spend the money that they've been so diligent yeah. in saving. Yeah. And so they've like, they've delayed gratification for years and years and years. Right. 
and sadly like they have are so used to that that they can't even allow themselves to enjoy their money yeah yeah we see it a lot they don't want to that this this fear of running out of money before they die is so big that they just can't spend it so they they have the big party they retire and then they sit at home and i mean i, I don't want to overplay it because you know they, yeah, they still yeah. will but but the point is that all of these grandiose plans that they had these cool things they're going to do in retirement all of a sudden they don't dare that's it yeah there's always it. a concern and even when it's not reasonable right oftentimes mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. of the fear now um hopefully i i think that we especially saw that from you know the 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 baby boomer generation who were alive or who had parents that were alive in the great depression yeah um but it's still something so we had a discussion just uh i guess it was a few months ago uh or maybe it was a couple months ago with buck about uh this idea of die with zero so we yeah. did our book club episode Yep. And that's kind of where my thought process is coming from. And I shared the, I've, I've shared the uh, kind of in my life where my dad passed away really young, he was 49. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of rang true, right? Like I absolutely believe in being diligent in uh, being thoughtful and having a plan and being disciplined. And yet, man, just too often you can delay it. And for, for some people, they just don't ever get any of the yeah. benefit. Right. So a couple of thoughts on this. First off, balance is key. Um, Proper planning gives us freedom. So if we do it the right way, especially if we get into the money insights methodology for Mm -hmm. creating cash flow, retirement cash flow specifically. Uh, But then finally, we can't take it with us, Rod. So it doesn't do a whole lot of good. Uh, Now, obviously, we can give money to our family and and that can be really powerful. But I would submit to our audience that there's every bit as much power and maybe more in the experiences that we create and the things that we do while we're alive with our family. I know that when I look at my mom passed away just about a year and a half ago, I guess it's maybe been two years, Rod, time flies, but she passed away. And I can just tell you that I didn't care about money, not even a little bit. What I did care about and loved was thinking about the experiences. And so so anyway, I, I won't go off on a wow. I won't go off on more of a tangent, but well, I think that's why that's why I made it a sin. Yeah, balance, balance. balance. Don't don't get on to either extreme. Somewhere okay. in the middle. Rod, bring us into sin number three. Okay, so the sin number three is an overemphasis on accumulation over distribution. Mm, accumulation over distribution. Okay, these are like. These are like buzzwords mm-hmm. nowadays, right? They started to become buzzwords like 10 years ago. And it was like a, a sophisticated way to say that we're, we save better, but we don't know how to spend our money, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're good at saving, but not good at spending. And I think the, the narrative out there is that especially that advisors really don't know what, how to create a spending plan. They just know like, hey, if we can get you to save money in the market and we can earn money from helping you do that, then it's a win. And that's yeah. the plan, yeah. right? And to be honest with you, it kind of looks that way when we when we see like what the spend down plans have actually right. looked like. Right. Um, and the analogy so is yeah, the, it's an issue. Yeah. The analogy is this mountain. Right. So yep. you, the, you hear people talk about how when we're accumulating, that's when we're climbing the mountain and we get to the top. We've built enough. Now we're ready to retire. And now it's coming back down. The mountain is living in retirement and and spending down the wealth that you built up. Right. 
Yeah. So you just you have to decide where when is your peak. And, okay. and then like you so said, you, when we come down, what are we going to do? But but we're not thinking about that. When and I when I say we, I mean the advisors, all the talking heads out there. It's all about what you're doing now and you're saving and you're building it up and you're investing in a well-diversified portfolio and all this kind of thing to get up the mountain. And then what? People don't know what, what the then what is. Mm. Oh, and then the narrative that the advisors are saying is, would you go with a, with a guide who is like, hey, Rod, I can get, I'm going to crush it. We can get up this mountain in no time flat. And you're yeah. like, awesome. He's like, you're like, well, h- how fast do you think we'll get down? He's like, I, I haven't brought anyone home, home alive yet, but I'm going to get you up there in no time. <laughs> Okay. That's a little bit extreme, but that's kind of the, that's kind of, okay. So a couple of thoughts here, Rod. Uh, We're going to go seven habits of highly effective people and say, start with the end in mind. Yeah. It just is like a good philosophy. No wonder that book sold so many copies. Start with the end in mind, Rod. It just makes sense. Yeah. We, we forget about that, right? Because we get so focused on getting there. I, I got to do it. I want to build it for time. And I have a goal of whether it's a, a dollar amount or an age or both, but we don't think beyond that. So brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Stephen Covey, okay. way to go. Okay. Um, and, and that means when we're talking about retirement, that means, you know, we've got to be thinking about the amount of money that, that we have, the way that we're going to spend it, the tax implications of what that means for that money and for our other money. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things to consider, which again yeah. is why it's so important to start thinking about what that spend down strategy, what that retirement cash flow strategy actually looks like. Yeah, let the plan for how you're going to use the money determine how you get there. Absolutely. Okay, Rod. Finally, there should be, there has to be, we believe the money insights methodology says. Focus on streams of income. Yeah. That's been one of your favorite narratives for years and years. And can I just tell you, it's one that we believe because we see it out there, right? Yeah. People who are creating multiple streams of income end up having, uh, well, a carefree retirement. We'll call it a carefree retirement. Because guess what? You, you, feel, you feel free. You're not worried about the potential of running out of money or you know, even you're not even worried about necessarily the tax implications because you've created a plan. You already know what's happening. Yeah. And that's, what's funny about this deadly sin is that the buzzwords are built on a a false narrative or at least an incomplete narrative, right? It's not all, it's not only about accumulation leading to distribution. If you can build those streams of income, yeah, build up a nest egg too. Like you're going to have assets. You're going to have other things happening as you do this, but it's not only about this accumulation. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So quick review, Rod, before we, before we move on to four, five, six, and seven, the first one is first sin is buying into the 401k myth. The second one is overspending, not saving enough and or over saving and not spending enough. I, a, that's a tongue twister. Um, or maybe it's just like a mind twister, Rod. Yeah, I'm right, struggling right. with it either way. Uh, and then number three we talked about is an overemphasis on accumulation over distribution. Okay, the fourth deadly sin, Rod, is this is a big one. Not diversifying among asset classes. Go. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know where, where you're coming from in this one because the, the broker says they're going to put you into a well-diversified portfolio. So that's, you're right. He's taking okay. care so of that's a good point. So, so I do think that this brings up a, a reasonable question. The question being, can I diversify, like adequately diversify among asset classes all within like the stock bond mutual fund world? Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, and, okay, and I so, would say no. I don't okay. believe so. And I would say kind of, but not really. Right? That's what I would say. Yeah. So, so here's the deal. Um you can get into things related to real estate or you can find things related to um oil and gas or it doesn't matter, right? Like you can find some something related to you can get in the game in really any sector of market by investing that way but you just can't do it the same way or with the same overall effectiveness or, and part of that is because of things like tax benefits that we just can't get by doing it that way. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because it, it inevitably comes to that for people who, who have only ever thought about investing in the stock market, because it doesn't matter what other asset class you talk about. It could even be gold, right? So you say, Hey, yeah, maybe you should own some gold and silver and then inevitably the response is, well, maybe I'll just buy some gold stocks or, or mutual funds or things like that. And yeah. You're like, okay. Well, that may step. link you to that asset class, but it's not the asset class or real estate. Like you said, having a REIT or, or buying, you know, asset or, or uh, stock in whatever Berkshire Hathaway or, or whatever, some, some inter real estate related company kind of ties you into the that asset class but it's not actually investing in the asset class you're still just buying a stock yep and again as an example of that nobody's giving you a tax benefit for buying that stock yeah yep they but get if it all. i go and purchase the yeah they get they get those benefits but but if i go and do that myself then suddenly i'm creating that additional um, benefit okay yep. so let's hit on some of these things quick benefits of uh investing in alternative assets number one tax benefits. We've been yep. hitting on that. Number two is that there's this risk adjusted return thing that we always talk about. And we genuinely believe that there is an element to an overall better, higher risk adjusted return with hard alternative assets on average than what we see in the stock market. Yep. Especially uh, when you include the tax, the tax breaks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing because of that, it makes it like, really difficult. The return would have to be significantly higher inside of the stock in order to just equal the same value proposition that we're getting on some of these hard assets where we're getting really significant tax deductions. And again, we're talking to high income earners, right? The tax deductions matter. They're big. Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's not like when Rod was, you know, 24 years old and he was throwing money into his 401k. Yeah. Like, this is like when you do, when, when, you're a million dollar earner and you stick $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars like that, that matters. It makes a yeah. difference. Okay. Sorry. Um, control rod. Talk about control for a second. Yeah. When you are investing, especially like in a 401k, cause when you ask people on who put money in a 401k, you know, tell me about what you're investing in. It's usually like deer in the headlights look or yeah. Or like, oh, I'm investing in this, this, um, what is it? Time-based age, age-based, age-based yep, portfolio. They'll be like, 
they'll be like retirement 65 and it's basically a pre put together um balance of stocks and bonds in some form yeah that that shifts as you get older so that more is it in is in bonds and less in stocks as as you get closer to retirement yeah. so but again really even creative if, stuff yeah even if they know that much they don't have a clue what what is actually in there what they're actually investing in so I would say on the whole that is almost always true yes and then you take it to the next person who says maybe they do know Oh, I'm invested in these mutual funds and this and that and the other thing. Um, but again, regardless of of that level of knowledge, they have zero control, mm-hmm. right? That, yeah. Okay, I shouldn't say zero. They can choose to move to a different fund that the 401k offers than what they are currently investing in. That is an option, but that's not real control. Yeah. When you invest in, you, you have your own piece of real estate or you have your own business, etc. You ha- you're in control. You make the decisions. You're the one that's that's uh, you know putting putting things out there, getting making those decisions that make things move in the direction you want them to move, instead of just handing your money to someone else and letting them do all that. Yep. Can, the more you can control, the greater the benefits that you get. Right. Again, yep. we keep going to tax benefits because they're the most uh, pronounced, but that applies in multiple different areas. Right. We talk about being able to do value add real estate. Obviously, I can't do value add if I don't have any part in it. Yeah, uh, and even on a business side, this reminds me of a conversation my wife uh, reminded me of when when I was all gung ho about having my own business, and she was having a conversation with one of her friends, and the friend said, "Man, that just seems so risky. Just just go get a job with somebody who can give you some security or whatnot." And then she talked to another friend whose husband was uh, already owned his own business, and she said, "That's that's a crock because you, you don't have any." insight any control into what's happening uh if if there are going to be layoffs you as the employee are the last one to know and it's when they hand you that that you know piece of paper that says you're out of here whereas if you're the business owner and you're seeing things as they come and you have the ability to make decisions to to pivot or, or whatever to make changes you know what's coming yeah i agree i think that's that's a good point that's proven to be true even in the bad times when we had the the uh, furniture business in 2008 and there was no uh, we had no delusions of what was going to happen because we knew the reality of it. We knew what we were hearing from our customers. And so we, we made the decision to shut it down right away. But again, that was our decision and, and there weren't, we didn't have employees at the time who were sitting over there just like, Oh, now I don't yeah. have a job. Right. Like well, was, and that's brutal. I mean, think about how many people uh, went through that through the pandemic recently. Yeah. Um, and even like even us, we had to decide whether we wanted to keep the spa open or sell it yep. or, you know, all the different things. So, yeah, there's yep. just there's a lot there. Having control um, has a big amp- it has a big impact. Uh, last couple of things, Rod. Oftentimes, alternative assets are better at creating cash flow. Yep. And we would say that it's true diversification. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So getting to the, the, the heart of the deadly sin. Uh, the, the, the sin is not diversifying among asset classes. You get into the alternative space. You can do a lot more in those assets directly. True diversification beyond just whatever Wall Street calls their well-diversified portfolio. Okay. And I just want to remind people that we're not suggesting that stocks, bonds, mutual funds, qualified plans have no place in an overall plan. Um, it's just that those are the things that are like the 
like the go-to, like the, mm -hmm. without thinking about it, that's just what we do. And what we're suggesting is that we can do more by doing more. We can get better by, we can get better results by uh, true diverse, truly diversifying among us. Absolutely. Okay, Rod, our fifth sin is not taking advantage of life insurance-based strategies. While this is self-serving, Rod, it is 100% true. Our experience is that most advisors just have no clue what's going on in life insurance contracts. And because of that, they end up being averse to using it or they don't get paid for doing it. Like mm -hmm. they either don't know it, they don't understand it, or they don't get paid to do it. And for those reasons, they're saying, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, and, and what's sad about that is, especially for high income earners, that it's as powerful as an asset class as they have available to them. Absolutely. Think about all the benefits we just talked about in the alternative asset space. And life insurance brings all of those to the table for, you know, for, for while you're using it. So I couldn't agree more. Okay. So let's hit on some of those. So the first one is it's another place for a high income earner to get tax benefits, right? Mm -hmm. Like we talk about that all the time. Like, okay, if, if you as the traditional planner are going to say, you know what, go into four, your 401k, well, what if I'm, what if I'm making a million dollars and my 401k is only going to let me put 40,000 in it? Right. If that, yeah. right. So that becomes problematic. Um, Life insurance represents, again, a place where we can get a lot of those same benefits, but we don't have the same um, restrictions around it, right? We yeah. we can put as much as we want into it. So anyway, from that standpoint, it's really powerful. Um, think about the capital avalanche, Rod. I genuinely believe the capital avalanche is the, is the most powerful place to create tax-free income. And we've done things, like we've compared it to mm -hmm. really any traditional investment. And the challenge is that, that the re the traditional retirement space isn't using leverage mm -hmm. to to kind of accelerate returns and you know typically we see leverage associated with real estate and what's what's really unique and cool about life insurance is that it's one of the few asset classes that we can combine with leverage we do it incredibly well with real estate why wouldn't we do it to the same effect with life insurance right and and again, going back to this whole whole idea of creating cash flow in retirement. So in, in this case, especially because of the leverage, it's not just having accumulated an asset. So we have like we're building an asset over there inside of the life insurance. But when you combine it with the leverage and then you turn on that income stream later, you're just pre producing way more income because of the leverage than you could have if you it was only your dollars going in. Well said, Rod. Okay, so take advantage of life insurance based strategies. Number six, Rod, what is number six? It is the dreaded 4% rule. Oh boy, not just the 4% <laughs> rule. So I had the 4% rule listed on the outline here, but Rod made a very astute correction and now it is the dreaded 4% yeah. rule. Okay, we don't, we don't even need to get into this like a lot. Most people know what the 4% rule is. It's just the way that we spend down money. And mm -hmm. the typical advisor... Uh, the kind of traditional narrative out there is you get to retirement and then you take 4% of your nest egg and that's what your income is. Like, it, it, obviously it's more, a little bit more in depth and complicated than that. The, you know, they're using Monte Carlo simulations and things like that to create some sort of a baseline, but mm -hmm. it's just so flawed. And we've talked about that repeatedly. So yeah. Rod, why don't you take a minute and 
tell us why you think this is such a dreaded sin. Yeah. Well, what's funny is you you use the word flawed, and the rule rule quote unquote is is flawed, um, but but the rule keeps changing too. Right? Uh, so good point. so it was it was a bad idea to begin bad. with. <laughs> And then after the decade of the 2000s, they realized, oh, man, 4%. That's not really going to work as, as well as we thought it would. So let's go with 3% or 3.25. or like three. Different yeah. advisors will, will give you different numbers. And maybe it isn't quite so much a rule anymore. <laughs> yeah. And with lower, with lower interest rates, man, I was seeing like 2.7, 2.8. And yeah. can I just tell you, Rod, when I was thinking about that, I was like, could there be a less effective way oh, wow. to bring out income? Like yeah. a less efficient way. I don't think that there's like, think about, uh, think about this too. What if I've saved a couple million bucks and you're like, great, you can take 3%. You're like 60 grand. Heck yeah. 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 Sign me up for that retirement. Yeah. And because it was right? all, because that was all in your qualified plans. It's also taxable. So the it's net to taxable, you is going to be 40. And it's Right. And it's making your social security taxable too, by the way. Yeah, like yeah. just it's just crazy. So the four percent rule is just like such a joke. And I I continue to be amazed that it even gets talked about. Maybe we're maybe we're the problem, Rod, because we're <laughs> talking about it as a sin. It's like continuing to perpetuate it. I, I don't know. Maybe we need to like ban it from the pod altogether. What do you think? <laughs> uh it's dreaded. So why it's would dreaded. we want something that's so dreadful? All right. Well, okay, fair. but here's what's here's what's even worse about it is even at the point where it was at its peak, right? As a rule, as as you know, being as a followed, rule, yep. Right when uh, when you would run those Monte Carlo simulations, which basically just says uh, if you if you live 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years uh, in retirement, what's the likelihood that you're going to have even one dollar left when you die? Mm-hmm. And with the four percent rule. If you live beyond like 25 years, there was still a 20% chance you were going to run out of money before you died. Rod, that's crazy. It's yeah. it's absolutely crazy. So you're telling me, Rod, if I'm hearing you right, you're telling me that if I jump out of the plane with my, that I've got, I got an 80% chance of this thing actually working out for me. Well, that means that there's a one in five chance that I actually run out of money. Yeah. And that's no the can, rule. Nobody can look at that and be like, sign me up for that. Yeah. Unless, the, of course, they think that's the only option. It's a great point. And, and that, again, kind of gets to the heart of a lot of these things is the loudest voices out there are telling you to get into the 401k, telling you accumulation is the thing, telling you the 4% rule is, is the right way to go. And we're just here to tell you, not only is it not the right way, these are the seven deadly sins. Okay, Rod, there's one more point inside this deadly sin, the dreaded 4% rule that we need to hit on. Yeah. Tell us about so, it. So uh, sequence of returns is a big deal too. So we have this kind of analysis that we did where we said, okay, what if you were retiring over, say, a 30-year period that ended in 2008? You would have been yeah. great on you the nailed 4%. It. You nailed it. You could have taken yeah, probably 6 or 7% and been in great shape because you... Um, because building up to it, you know, you did go through kind of some rough times uh, for, from time to time, but but the 90s helped you like crazy. Yeah, and the tech boom. So by the time you hit the the dot com bust and then later the the real estate bust, uh, you were way, you were way ahead of the curve. But then if instead we flipped that, like inverted the years where you were retiring 
in 2008 and then year two is 2007, year three is 2006, et cetera, kind of moving backwards, you, you ran out of money in like 17 years. So how can it be so dramatically different if when you take the whole of that, that timeline and you had the exact same average return, how is it possible that in the one case you, you had way more money than, than you needed, where in the other case you ran out of money? And the answer is sequence of returns. If those poor returns happen in the early years, it hurts way more than they do later. So this just kind of gets at the heart of the idea that taking or assuming some sort of average return as, as a given, right, in, in this planning model and saying, well, if we just assume you get XYZ average return. Which, then, by the way, is what everybody does. Yep then this is what we can assume is going to happen. And there's way more to it than just thinking about an average. Okay. I like it. Rod, I'm excited to get into sin number six. Is there anything yeah. else on the dreaded 4% rule? No, nope, I think I'm good. Yep. Okay, Rod, number seven, the seventh deadly sin. Um, and this might be the deadliest of all the sins. <laughs> yeah. And it is quite simply listening to anything that Dave Ramsey has to say about the subject of retirement planning. And guess what? We're not just going to like throw that out there. We're actually going to show you why. Okay. Yeah. Here's the deal. Dave literally commits every sin on our list here. Okay. Think about it. if we go into number one, he's all in on qualified plans, Check. right? He's saying, do as much as you can there. If we go to number two, He's all in on making sure that you, in fact, you can't even buy a house using, using lever, uh, using debt or leverage, right? Yeah. You live like nobody else so that you can live like nobody else. Well right? said. Mm. <laughs> okay. So Dave, so we've, we've cleared number one and number two, number three, Rod, I'm trying to think, where did we decide that he works on this one? Well, he's all about accumulation. So that's we'll, just, yeah. We'll talk yeah, in a minute here about just, oh, well, then yeah. let's, let's do it now. Yeah. Okay. Let's do, do it, it now. now. So I had a, I had a, a scary moment, maybe one of the scariest moments of my career <laughs> when I, this was probably, you know, eight or nine years ago, but okay. I got on his website and I was looking, okay, well, what does he have to say about retirement planning? Mm -hmm. And he literally, he had this whole thing spelled out and he said, you can plan on uh, living on 8%. Of, of what you've accumulated because if on average you're producing, let's be conservative and, and say yeah. that you can get an average of 8% per year. Then if you've built up your, whatever your 2 million of your, your example earlier, yeah. live off 160 grand. You can spend your money and have this, you'll just have the same amount of money. They're available to you. Yeah. For the Every rest year of your you're life. getting the 8%. It's replacing what you spent, right? You're, you're not yeah. even spending down the 2 million. You're just living off of the proceeds because you live off the 8%. Okay, so Dave, man, Dave, Dave takes oh. things up enough. So he's like taking number our number six, and he's like really up in the ante. He's like, not only is the four percent rule a good a good rule, let, let's take that thing and double it's it. I know that the four percent has been a little bit sketchy, but if you go to eight, <laughs> that's where the averages really play out yeah. in your favor. Yeah. Can you and, imagine and like can you imagine rolling that out in a Monte Carlo in, in like the Monte Carlo simulations? Like I can't imagine if at 4%, like the best we can do is get to 80% probability. Yeah. And with that, we're going to be like lucky to get to 50. 
Yeah, but he literally had it laid out so that it said, like he even had an example of numbers that said, if you have this oh, wow. much and you have the 8%, you, you, well, you earned 8%. We just, you know, because you just earn 8%. Then, yeah. and then you, you took that out, you still have what's left. Like he was really laying it out there as if. Okay. Like well, I, I mean, I can idea. lay it out. It's really easy, right? You're $2 the million, math, dollars, yeah. 2 million bucks in your 401k. You take out your 160,000 because each year it does at least 8%. Uh, there's no fluctuation. We'll do at least that. So the the balance just stays the same. Like it's a foolproof plan. Yep. Done. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that one's that one's scary, right? Yeah. So that's um, that's you were asking specifically on number three, yes. overemphasis on accumulation, and no real plan for distribution. Well, I guess that's okay. That take so he he's clear on that one pretty easily. Yep. Uh, Rod number five. We know how Dave how much Dave loves life insurance, specifically mm -hmm. cash value life insurance. In fact, Dave would go so far as to basically say that anything involving cash value life insurance is a scam. Scam. Yeah. And no anybody and anybody who would even consider selling it has like a real a real issue with their moral their personal moral code. Mm -hmm. Is that yep. fair? Yep, they're going to okay. lie, cheat, and still the, the bias is just too strong. Okay, Rod. So I think that it's pretty clear that Dave is the prime example of how to commit all seven deadly sins. Yes. Okay, but Rod, there's more. There's more. Uh -oh. I have good news. Before we close up shop for today, I want to hit on just two quick bonuses. Ah, yes, I was hoping that we'd get the bonuses. Sin. Yeah, we're, we're doing some bonus sins. Okay, bonus sin number one. This is really easy. And can I just say, it's probably not an issue for most high income earners, mm -hmm. but just don't do it. Bonus and number one is incorporating social security into your planning. And I put specifically if you're under 50. Yeah. Because guess what? It's a mess and the chances of it being there or being what you're thinking it will be are, are pretty slim. So yeah. I would go into that. We talked about this in a, in a previous podcast, but we believe that it makes more sense to not even think about social security if you're younger and focus on building your assets outside of that. Yep. Okay. So that's bonus sin number totally one. Agreed. Bonus sin number two, Rod, believe it or not, annuities and reverse mortgages both can be powerful retirement solutions for the right people. Yeah. And what's sad out there is that too many people have a negative view and don't understand some of those things that they're missing out on it when, again, they could be more effective. Well, I just read it. I was just reading a marketing email from someone in the industry that was talking about um, a really well-known uh, doctor of finance. Okay. And he, he was, he, I can't remember his name. I wish I could come up with it. Maybe I'll have to come back and edit the name in there. But anyway, the, the thing that was interesting about it is it was somebody who basically like, analyze derivatives for you know big companies i'm talking mm -hmm. like goldman sachs he's really well known and he came out and he wrote an article that talked about why he owned it was like 13 annuities or something like that mm -hmm. and by the way i was as surprised about that as anybody but the point that he made in his article was basically that there is nothing out there that can as effectively make sure that they have income for the rest of their life without yeah. question as annuities and so even though he understood the financial markets as well as anybody, he for himself believed that annuities were the right solution. And so again, I only say that to say that we see, and it comes from, 
what's that one firm that's uh, up in Oregon, Rod? Comes You're from... talking about Fisher? Fisher, yes. Comes from comes from places like Fisher, but just don't buy into it. Yeah. Go ahead, actually learn about it, understand what those things are, and then make a determination. My experience, Rod, is that most of the time, products, services, things that have been created have some sort of purpose that they can be used for. Not always, but most of the time. Yeah, well, especially if they're perpetuating for hundreds of years, like annuities have. Eh, you know, there might be something. Yeah, to there it. might be something to it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Rod, those are my seven deadly sins. Those are our seven deadly sins, and those are my seven, my two, two bonuses. Bonuses, I love it. Is there anything you want to add? Did we get no. most of the retirement planning sins? Okay. Nailed it. Okay, well, I just want to say thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us today. As a reminder, we're asking everybody to share the pod with how many of their friends, Rod? Two friends. Not no one. More, no less. Not three two friends. Okay. Thanks everybody for hanging out with us and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the money insights podcast to learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in the show. Please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the money insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial tax or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.